Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Bo. And this is the Triumph Podcast, where we celebrate great storytelling. Yep. Celebrate, discuss, explore, revere. Uh, what are some other verbs? Uh, all the uh, all the other synonyms that we tried to use to come up with a different title name, I think. <laughs> a great. You know, uh, great stories was the most uh, generic. Uh, it, it makes sense. That's That's really what this is about. It could be video games. It could be movies. It could be TV. It could be books. Could be mythology. We talk a lot about uh, Homer's Odyssey, uh, you know, off mic. So I think, uh, yeah, it, it encapsulates a lot. Uh, today, I think we have some interesting, uh, interesting stories to discuss. Uh, uh, obviously, there's lots of movies coming out uh, recently. Uh, Across the Spider Verse, obviously, very big. Uh, there's there's the Flash coming soon, but uh, uh, more recently than that, Daniel, what's the what's the last movie you saw in theaters? Last movie I saw in theaters would um, have to be Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I know we both watched it, um, and we both had, uh, I say, pretty different viewing experiences. Um, but I think we both, after watching it, we both thought a lot about uh, what the story had to say and kind of James Gunn's uh, style in general. Yeah. And specifically uh, how the story made us feel. Um uh, first off, though, uh, I know you had a an interesting viewing experience, shall we say? You know what? I I almost didn't even go. I wasn't really, you know. I think Marvel is in a weird spot right now, and so I was sort of I've been a little bit disillusioned. Uh, you know, Quantumania, Multiverse of Madness, sort of, sort of. These are sort of messy entries. It's not the polish that that we loved about phases two and three, right? Um, but all that to say, you know, Guardians was barely on my radar. And then the day it came out, I think it was like the Saturday or the Sunday, you know, my wife and I decided to go and I sort of had to scramble to get tickets. And so we finally found some, you know, back, you know, back middle seats at a theater, you know, 25 minutes away. And uh, and we were able to kind of squeeze in right as the the show was starting. And oh, my gosh. I mean, it was it was there was popcorn and candy everywhere. And the theater was totally crowded and it was a tiny little, you know, just a regular HD screen, right? You know, there's all this branding about XD and and all these crazy IMAX and Emacs and and LaserDisc and all these formats that they try to get you to pay a hundred dollars for. Uh, so we just had standard HD, and um, you know what? I kind of regret that choice. I almost wish we had gone up to whatever the other random format was. Um, but you know what? Despite the air conditioning and the and the standard image. Um, I was really surprised by Guardians 3. There were some there were some ways in which Guardians 3 really surprised me. Um, chief among them that it was a Marvel film that I thought was that I was totally um immersed in the whole time. It was a Marvel film that I wasn't pulled out of halfway through by going, Oh, here goes Marvel again. It was, you know, I was I was totally in it. Um and and there are also some ways I wasn't surprised. Um which is that? Uh, uh, well, we'll talk more about James Gunn, but but uh, but I did I did sort of have the feeling that uh, that I've seen this movie before was sort of my overall impression, uh, you know, from from beginning to end of, of Guardians Three. I, I don't know if you had that experience as well. I did, yeah. Uh, James Gunn, he definitely has a very uh, unique style, and he, it, there's no denying the mark that uh, James Gunn has left. Um, not only on the Marvel franchise, but I think a lot in the way that we do, uh, that superhero movies are being made today. Um, and his styling, 
with its deep roots in camp, um, you know, his history with trauma films, these really sort of trashy, almost purposefully bad B-movie type of things. You can feel his style kind of, you know, his desire to kind of take the grotesque and find a way to uh, elevate it in interesting ways and really challenge what we see in a uh, in a modern blockbuster film. Yeah. I think it's one of the reasons why the 2014 Gardens of the Galaxy was such a smash hit is there was a there's a lot different about the way that he was telling the story. Um even compared to other Marvel movies that were coming out around it, um a new style, a new way of communicating its very weird uh oddball characters and um there's no denying that 2014's uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was a ton of fun. Yeah. Um, and I think that was one of the things that really struck me about this uh, time around is there was some of that like fun and lightheartedness, but overall it was it felt like a like a heavier movie tonally. It felt like a darker movie tonally. Um, and you know, you could argue for the better or for the worse. Um, and honestly for me, um, I have to say, I kind of felt like it was for the worse. Mm. Uh, not because I don't like dark storytelling. I love dark storytelling when it's uh, done really well. But James Gunn's um, fi- final sort of uh, philosophy of, well, nothing matters except for the people that we, that we grow close to. And mm. we're all uh, weirdos in our own way. Like... That story can be fun up to a certain point, but yeah. um, when you've seen it three times in a row, yeah, it just, it's hard to, it, you realize just how far that narrative can go. And uh, this third movie really stretched it. Yeah. And this is, I mean, I, this is really what I want to touch on with you today is there's sort of this, this overarching question. You know, we talk about Guardians 3, um, you know, it, it, uh, if there's darkness, there has to be light. Right. Like, like for it to all be absurd and wild and, and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're actually, they're incredibly rude to each other. For example, the characters Mm -hmm. in terms of moral lightness, they're often disrespectful. Um, they're often rude, um, you know, really poking at each other's insecurities. There's very little kindness uh, to go around in guardians, uh, until the end. And, uh, and my experience watching it was that this happened I've seen this before. I've seen this in the first Guardians film where they were all sort of crass and then at the end they become kind and wrap it up. And in the second Guardians film, they're all sort of crass and then they start to wrap it up. And But ultimately, I think the question that, that I want to talk to you about today is, you know, if if the story, if the story universe is fundamentally based in absurdism or nihilism, if it's all sort of sort of all over the place and killing people is fine and being kind to people is, a you know, semi-important not important you know then what's the what's the point is there a point does it does it feel satisfying so i guess i don't know what's your experience with this what would be some other examples that you can think of so while you were while you were talking about that it got me thinking there's a specific moment that really bothered me in guardians of the galaxy 3 and i think it perfectly underlines it's a small moment but it perfectly undermines um how James Gunn's sort of absurdist nihilist philosophy rubs me the wrong way. And there's a scene where Mantis and Drax 
are talking, and you may know the scene I'm talking about, where he, uh, she's, uh, Mantis says something that really hurts Drax's feelings. And he says something along the lines of, oh, you, you think I'm stupid? And Mantis, like, sees the pity on his, or the, the hurt on his face, and she just kind of touches him and then tells him to forget about it. Yeah. And then he's all like, aha, things are okay. Yeah. And then we're kind of left with that moral ambiguity of what just happened kind of hanging. Right. And there's this real sense that it never really comes back, right? It's almost like, well, yeah. you forgot it. Yeah. The hurt feelings are gone now. The fact that she didn't have to confront um, the fact that, he, that she hurt his feelings doesn't matter because it didn't happen. Yes. But it did happen. It Just because he forgot it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Right. And it didn't really... It, it, the fact that it didn't come back at all is, well, is I, troublesome. I'm gonna, now, it's just a big a, movie, so there's a lot to go on. I mean, it does come back a little bit in the sense that Nebula and Drax, you know, have sort of a resolution where Nebula has, has a similar epiphany about Drax's character and he does... He does have value and he does have purpose and he's not a big dumb idiot. Uh, but that specific mantis Drax relationship, you're right, it doesn't necessarily close. I think it's interesting, though, because that's a perfect example of what continues to to seem to happen in, in James Gunn films, which is he'll set up this moment where characters have a sort of an emotional vulnerability moment together where somebody hurt the other person's feelings. Drax, in this example, says, hey, that hurt my feelings. And James Gunn gets so close to like, like addressing it in a human satisfying like you know uh, uh a valuable meaningful way and then ends up dismissing it with humor not every time but a majority of the time 75 percent to 80 percent of the time um so i don't know i just it it it, it feels a little um I, I i think it's important to say right here right now like that's something that you and i both value is mm -hmm kindness and and that heroes are heroic and and i think fundamentally the problem is if 75 percent to 80 percent of the moments of emotional vulnerability are just jokes then what's the point like why get invested in the characters at all um yeah maybe it maybe it lets audiences off easy you know to to, to not have to address those emotional themes like it's easier to make people laugh than it is to actually get into it um, or maybe that's all part of James Gunn's plan is, hey, I'm going to I'm going to make you think that you don't have to get into it. And then at the very end, I'm going to sneak attack you with one big moment of kumbaya. Um, so I, and uh, it's interesting. You, yeah, you you bring that up, too. But I think, again, one of the other things that stuck in my craw about um, uh, the third movie is how how often in the movie um, it really slows down to try to like ring some emotional moment out of it hmm. um like oh character's gonna die slow motion there there something bad's gonna happen and then it's just like oh and then, then they're fine the next scene like um but they but the way that he films it and the way that it's edited makes it seem like in that exact moment oh this could be the death of a character and then it's just kind of like nope pulled out from under you right doesn't matter like the like and the, like the set and the production and the editing and it's like the characters are just dressing for entertainment which I, maybe that's ironic because when i say it it's like well yeah that's filmmaking but i i think there is sort of an, an inversion where you really you want the props and the and the production design and the cinematography and the editing and the music 
to enhance a character that feels real versus a character that is simply leveraged and puppeted around for the sake of some surface level experience, uh, whether it's humor or a wow effect or a cool action sequence. Like, I think those things should serve the character and not the other way around. And another good example, I think, would be Sam Raimi's Multiverse of Madness, where he took Wanda, who had been developed really carefully by Joss Whedon and the Russo brothers, uh, McFeely through the through the uh, through Avengers uh, and Wanda Vision, and used her which as apparently a, Sam Raimi didn't even which watch. Sam Raimi didn't even watch, didn't even watch, was just you know was just told about key moments and used her as a puppet. For to be he he used her as his horror movie monster, um, which mm-hmm. I thought was really disappointing. And so in the same way, I feel like James Gunn leverages his idiosyncratic weirdos to just deliver on comedic punches and absurd action sequences, which we like, right? Like mm-hmm. Guardians One was awesome. Guardians Two was even better. I didn't express these concerns when I watched those two films, but now we're in a Guardians One, Guardians Two. Guardians 3, Suicide Squad, the DC Suicide Squad film, like all four of these, they follow a very similar pattern, which is idiosyncratic heroes are, you know, the uh, idiosyncratic weirdos are your band of heroes and they go up against a villain who wants to be God, right? You have like the moth creatures in Peacemaker. Uh, You've got Ego in Guardians 2. You've got uh, 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 Lee Pace's character in in Guardians One, mm-hmm. uh, Ronan. Um, Ronan the uh, yeah just, no Ronan the something yeah well Ronan and yeah. and every single yeah. one of them wants to be God they want to be, and and of course you have the um uh the high evolutionary, yeah yeah high evolutionary and yeah. they all want to be God and 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 so it's almost a direct. Uh, just total disrespect to any kind of high moral value or, or, or I, I, I don't know. It's a bigger idea there. I'm sort of stuck, but where, where are you right now with this? Yeah, I, I feel very similarly too. It seems like, um, the general thought process in a lot of these examples, and we can go beyond, uh, superhero. There's lots of other, um, shows and, and movies where, um, they, have this sort of nihilistic sort of perspective or this absurdist worldview and they're struggling to make a story to as a as a thread to connect all of it so that it's not just random scenes they thought were funny or dramatic stitched together there's got to be some sort of like through line and inevitably the through line tends to be well we're all broken people but if we're all broken together then maybe it's not so bad and we're better broken together um rather than uh and not trying to and trying to keep things um in a good place a subjectively good place rather than uh well everything sucks it doesn't matter let's destroy it all Mm. um you know it's like they're they're fighting out this this tension between this worldview, these two different worldviews with the same sort of core to them. And um, you can really only take that story so far. And I think Guardians 3 took it about as far as you really can. Right. And maybe a little bit farther than they really should have. I mean, to be clear, it's a good story. 
I mean, it's a, it's a good it story. Is. People coming together and embracing each other's vulnerabilities. There's a reason it's worked so far, but you were going to say. Well, and I don't want to necessarily dive into this too much, but there is this sort of unnerving habit that, that James Gunn also have, has of uh, co-opting uh, religious symbolism and ideology, uh, iconography and kind of like doing a bait and switch mm-hmm. where it's like, like, like uh, Adam Warlock and, um, and yeah. And uh, Peter and Peter Quill. Yeah. And, or, and then, you know, the arc theme and stuff like that, yeah. but they're accessories. They're, they're accessories meant to add more like symbolic weight to a scene, even if like contextually, it doesn't really, it doesn't really match or mesh with what the story is trying to tell. He continues to use those symbols and those ideas, but he doesn't really address them in a big way. He just sort of pokes them. It's almost like he's just having fun toying with uh, everything. That's really, I think that's really what it feels like is, is it's starting to feel like James Gunn is just having fun and that we're just watching him screw around. And, um, and I was all, I was all along for the ride. Like I said, you know, for guardians one, for guardians two, for Peacemaker and for Suicide Squad. I loved all four of those. And only now having watched Guardians 3, am I like, okay, wait a second. Maybe this is getting a little bit old. Like watching James Gunn screw around was entertaining. And now it's like, okay, is this all that it's going to be? Like, is this all it amounts to every time? <laughs> and so yeah. I can't I can't really unsee those similarities. And, and again, ultimately, what I, what we're saying is like fundamentally the reason this is a problem is because people should grow. People should change. Mm. People should apologize. People should be kind for the sake of being kind. People shouldn't just be screwed up weirdos. They shouldn't just be assholes and then make up for it later. Like people should learn to be kind. Like I think that's important. And it is. And and, and they have these moments where they apologize and then they'll say, actually, the reason it's a problem is because here's my story. And mm. then they go back to being you know, assholes to each other five minutes later. Right. They're really just all sort of engrossed in their own self-pity. So I don't know. I think maybe I'm going too far into psychoanalysis. And I know we have some other stuff to talk about, you know, because this idea of nihilism and absurdism and what's the point, because it's not just James Gunn. I mean, there's a lot of modern superhero content. You know, there's audiences that seem to really enjoy this aspect of, you know, fuck the rules, do whatever we want. They like this darker side and uh, and and I know maybe you have some examples prepared. What what should we talk about next year? The I mean there are so many examples, but I feel like one that um, really also stands out is um, um, Snyder and mm. his uh, Snyderverse. Yeah, and how you know it is dark and um, moody and the way to like the the fact that there is multiple sequences of of uh superman henry cavill whom i love like i think he actually does yeah uh, he's actually a good superman but the way that he's filmed and the way that his story is told is basically um he's just got the weight of responsibility constantly like on him all the time and it's not it's it's um it's the weight is focused so heavily on it and that it's it's um it's really portrayed in this sort of dark sort of thankless way yeah and that he he does it because if he doesn't do it the world will fall apart well it's interesting because it tells us more about Zack snyder than it does about clark kent 
right? Yeah. Like Clark Kent is somebody who should be able to easily carry the weight of the world. Like the point of Clark Kent is not the weight of the world is a burden. The point of Clark right. Kent is like, what if there was this guy mm -hmm. who was just enduring and endlessly generous, who had the power to view everybody as equally valuable and no problem was too small. And wouldn't that be a beautiful story if there was somebody who could, who could, who could be like that. And, and so to your point, yeah. Snyderverse doesn't, doesn't take, doesn't do that take on Clark Kent. No, it's, it's like, um, it's almost, you know, it's never, it never goes so far as to show Clark Kent or Superman as resentful. Right. But, there it there is this tone of like exhaustion and um and even other characters um um very jaded uh the you have uh ben affleck's uh batman just so like he's grizzled he's he's doesn't really he doesn't really care yeah i mean he cares but he doesn't you know it, it almost feels like he's doing this because he has to you know and, what? And, and you're saying that, and it makes me think about Ezra Miller's uh, Flash too. You know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Zack Snyder directs these 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 heroes, and they focus on their negative. You know, Batman becomes jaded. Superman becomes serious, very intensely mm -hmm. serious. Uh, Flash, you know, Barry Allen becomes uh, anxious. Mm -hmm. You know, anxious and and afraid instead of being you know Barry Allen being arrogant, which is you know, it's it's annoying, but it's inherently positive, right? There's confidence. Instead of Batman being, um, you know, in, intelligent and just conveying, like, you know, a, a detail-orientedness, instead of Clark Kent being kind, he takes the negative approach tonally, emotionally, actually, in each case. Yep. And I think also because inevitably these movies end up with a big, huge... CGI fight scene that dominates the screen for 20 minutes um, in which, you know, all the characters are beat to a pulp and are exhausted. Um, and we're exhausted watching it as the audience. You know, um, we don't get those. There's not really a sense of catharsis um, that happens when the, when the villain is, is defeated. It's more just like, it's more just a moment of like, oh, thank goodness it's over. It's um, it, it doesn't feel like a victory. It it feels, you know, it just feels like oh well, we just had to have this really long fight and we're all exhausted and we barely won, and we're just kind of exhausted at the end of it, and we don't feel like um, like good one out. We just feel like we just we just clawed our way through a terrible situation. And it's tough because like, you know, it, and it might be sort of maybe too stereotypical. And that's why they don't want to tell stories like this anymore. But, you know, you would get these scenes where maybe uh, in, a, in an older movie or in an older time where uh, Batman or Superman or, or whoever the hero is, is, is knocked down. Um, but then something happens and where he realizes what he's fighting for and why he's fighting. And he gets like, um, 
you know, gets he gets his cup refilled sure. and he he stands up and now he's way stronger than he was before. And he gives one big, huge heroic punch, knocks it out of the park. And there's this real sense of trans of growth and transformation and yeah. and and becoming stronger than what you just were because. Uh, for all the fighting and all the other things that have happened, it's the fact that it's not about the fact that he's punching stronger now. It's that, you know, the the old limits have sort of fallen away because yeah. he's realized what matters, what's true. Well, and another, you're talking about limits and falling away. It's also making me think about All-Star, All-Star Superman, which you recommended to me yeah. and I watched. And... um and I said, you know, Superman is, is a difficult character to write for because he's invulnerable, right? Like people have talked about this, like, how do you, how do you weaken Superman? How do you make his kindness have value and, and, and contrast? Um, but I, I mean, the answer, I think the answer is either a villain or a really creative take, like, like all-star Superman, which maybe you could talk a little bit about. I know that was pretty significant for you. He, uh. You know, the, the sun, uh, remind me exactly how it happens. The, the sun is, he loses the sun's powers or the sun starts to fade or I, or. So if I, it's been a while since I've seen it, but if I remember correctly, he has to fly close to the sun to start some, to stop some disastrous thing from happening that could, you know, basically destroy the solar system. But because he has to fly clo so close to the sun, um, his cells that regenerate from the sun get a huge burst of energy. And so there's this um, uh, interesting thing that happens where he's he feels way more powerful. He's way more capable than he's ever been. He's basically in his top form, turned up to eleven. But because he, of this overdose of sun radiation, um, he's gonna die. Like there's oh, a ticking yeah. clock. Yeah, he's going to die. His his cells are gonna burn out, um, and that's gonna be the end. So, it's so clever. He's given. Yeah, it's a very, it's a super clever uh, premise because we really get to see, it really asks that question of like, it really puts uh, Superman in focus. Like we knew that Superman, hey, you know, theoretically he could do good forever till the end of time, right? But then it asks, okay, well, what good would Superman do if he did have, if he was even more powerful, but he had a, he had a clock. Yeah. If you um, could, because I think a lot of other, yeah. I, I was, oh yeah, a lot of other, a lot of other people. You know, people talk about like you know, um, getting near death death experiences or something like that, and it really puts their life in focus and what matters. And they, um, and for some people, like they carry with it for the rest of their lives, hmm. and for some people, like it fades away. You know, they're they settle back in their old routine. But Superman's routine is literally being the best person in the universe. Mm. So um, his, he, now he's really put into focus of like, I'm going to, I'm going to do the best that he can, but there's a, there's a, there's a piece to it mm. in the way that he approaches it. He's not rushing around per se, um, you know, exhausting himself. Yeah. Doing as much good work as possible. Right. He's just, he's going to do what he can. He's going to experience things that he couldn't otherwise. But one of the other things that really resonated with me is near the end, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen it, mm -hmm. um, is that um, Superman has created a serum that allows him to grant 
um, Kryptonian powers to a mortal for like a day, mm-hmm. right? So he gives it to Lois Lane so she gets to experience a little bit what's going on. But at the end of the film, Lex Luthor gets it. <laughs> and he, Lex Luthor has this grand plan of how he's going he's gonna to usurp Superman and he's going to become, you know, his own, um, you know, powerful force and, you know, going to do what, what Lex Luthor wants to do. But after taking the serum, he realizes that the true power of Superman that he, grant, that he was granted was a sense of connection. A sense of like how all the all, all things are interconnected, and there's a real um, like that everything matters. The entire universe matters, and it's such a it's it's for lack of a better word, a religious experience for mm, Lex. Yeah, because he just realizes he can't be bad guy anymore because what he does matters and it hurts others. That's so um, interesting you say that because it takes me back to our guardians conversation. Like, if that's fundamentally, like, the why behind why Superman is kind, why heroes should be heroes, because the world is is interconnected, because little acts of kindness go a long way, because everybody deserves second chances, and and, and, and it's human to apologize. Um, you know, then, then Guardians takes a totally different approach, which is that fundamentally the world is chaos, and everything sucks. And as Rocket Raccoon says in, in Guardians 2, everybody's got dead people. And mm-hmm. so the, the, the only thing that you, that's possibly worth doing is just sticking around and being nice sometimes. And if you're, if you're nice often enough, then that's what a meaningful connection is. And I don't think that's the same thing, right? Because the, I don't think it is. The Guardians yeah. don't create a, you know, they do create a home, but their home mm-hmm. is nowhere which is a ragtag mess. It's basically a glorified junkyard, you know, and they're saying this is as good as it gets. In fact, they're saying this is the best of all the places in the world. We would be here in the junkyard with, with a bunch of people who are just trying to figure it out. And again, I, I, I realize like I'm listening to myself say this and it sounds a little bit, uh, I, I don't know. I think it's important to, to recognize that that is a a starting place, Mm -hmm. but like James Gunn positions it as the end all be all. Right. And I think, I think, and, I, well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, and also another thing in Guardians 3, there's a lot of it is also the acceptance that, that people are going to move on, right? Uh, that, that Peter Quill goes home. Mm, that's true. Goes back to Earth. Yeah. And um, all of that. Um, um, but also there's almost the sense of like uh, the, the abdication of it is okay to abdicate communal responsibility in if you are pursuing something personal like a personal actualization yeah yeah but communal responsibility is important and i think that yeah i mean sometimes you 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 got to have those sex uh self actualization moments but like at the end of the day, like you know, if everybody can just leave whenever they want to go fulfill some some personal drive or whim, yeah, like you know, like there, there's a limit, and the I'm not expecting Guardians Three to have an answer for what that limit might be, but you can't build a community out of a a, a culture of vagabonds who can leave whenever they want. Yeah. 
And you know what? The other thing I'm thinking is I'm thinking about the acts of kindness that do occur. And I'm trying to think really carefully and try to think back through the whole trilogy. I think there are very few... Well, I don't know. I, I'm not prepared to say this without a thorough analysis, but it feels like most people who do act out of kindness act out of kindness because there's something in it for them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a hero like Clark Kent or Steve Rogers or Peter Parker even would mm -hmm. take a different approach and act out of kindness, even if there's nothing to gain, right? Like right. I think about uh, Peter Parker in Spider-Man Homecoming, who helps the old lady cross the street you know what I mean? Like right. they have, there's that montage where he's doing silly uh, gimmicks around town. And it's not even like in the, in the film, it's sort of just a point of comedy. Like, well, he can't be an Avenger, so he's just going to hang out around here. But there's deeper meaning in there, which is that Peter Parker wants to be helpful and he wants to contribute, even if it's not on the world's biggest stage. Like if he wasn't like, oh, well, I can't be an Avenger, so I guess I'll just sit around at home and play video games. He was like, well, let me do something. I have to do something. Because with great power comes great responsibility, right? Like that's fundamental. And the Guardians don't have that. The Guardians help each other because, because they've been helped. And so they're just sort of exchanging favors almost. And that mm -hmm. can be meaningful. Like there can be connection there. But it's not the same as being a hero. It's not the right. same as, as, as acting selflessly. And the one character... Who, who who would have stepped in as sort of like a, a benevolent hero figure who would have wanted to act for acting's sake, who would have been the most Superman-like, would have been Adam Warlock. Mm -hmm. And he was just... And it was hilarious. And, and I don't think mm -hmm. that was an important idea for them to address, but it is a good example of somebody who James Gunn could have used to operate in that way and illustrate kind of a contrasting perspective and just didn't. And I think... This is my tinfoil hat, right? Maybe I'm going mm -hmm. a little bit off the deep end, but I think that's because James Gunn truly doesn't see any value in that perspective and himself believes that the best thing you can do in life is just do what's right for you and let the people in your life do what's right for them. And you can fuck around and say whatever you want. And if you apologize for it later, then it'll probably be fine. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned Spider-Man. I think what, um, whatever we want to say about Sam Raimi's... Um, um, turn at Doctor Strange is Spider-Man, at least the first two, maybe mm. not so much Spider-Man 3, like really, well, Spider-Man 3 did in its own way, but Spider-Man 3 is objectively a less good movie than uh, the first two. But he really wrestled, really wrestled with Peter Parker's um, selflessness. Yeah. Because like in both movies, there's this he's really playing with this idea that when Peter Parker is selfless, he's not appreciated when he's Peter Parker. He's only appreciated when he's Spider-Man, right? When he's wearing the mask, when he's Peter Parker, well, you're always late, Peter. You just can't keep your job down, Peter. You never show up to class, Peter. Um, how can I be your girlfriend, Peter, if you're never honest with me? which are all fair criticisms from hmm. like, you know, the perspective of the characters. Although because we empathize with Peter and we know that he's Spider-Man and we know he's this great heroic figure who's saving the city. We feel like oh, they're just being mean to him. They're just, they don't, they, they just, if they knew the truth, wouldn't they appreciate him so much more? Um, and Raimi really wrestles with that uh, in both films, but especially too. Hmm. Um, 
and there's there's a real there's a real sense of actually wrestling with it they're actually contending with what it means to be hero and that's okay too like it's good to have characters wrestle with these ideas and uh internally and externally and manifest those in the in the form of these supervillains, right who are these outsized versions of of um the fears and anxieties and and traumas and challenges that these heroes face right because um, that's how stories work but you Exactly, exactly. But if you're not honest, if you're not, if you can't have an honest, um, like dialogue within the film about it, then it feels cheap when you get to the resolution. Right. Right. Uh, they can just say whatever, laugh it off, ignore it, or have a character seem to die and do all of the things that make it indicate a character's about to die. Then you pull the rug out from under us and say, oh, look, it was all just a joke. LOL. And you do that enough times when you finally get to the to the emotional ending, it's not emotional anymore. We don't care. Yeah. I mean, I think that's I think that's really key here. Like, if nothing matters, then nothing matters. And repeatedly over the course of James Gunn's filmography, he makes the claim that nothing matters. I wanted to finish one last thought that yeah. I had about Superman All-Star because when Lex Luthor gets the realization that everything is connected, um, Superman doesn't let him off the hook. Like he's like, okay, yeah, you've seen the truth now, and yeah, you don't. You now you don't want to be a bad guy, but like, dude, you shouldn't have needed this <laughs> to be <laughs> to to not be bad. Yeah, right. You didn't need to see it to believe it. You needed to believe it to be worthy in a sense. Yeah. Right? So you're still you're still gonna get locked up. You're still gonna you're still gonna go to jail um you're still the bad guy like you don't get off the hook because you had some 11th hour re uh revelation unless you make a sacrifice mm. and lex doesn't do that right yeah to bring up another franchise darth vader and his 11th hour sacrifice mm. is a is a heroic sacrifice you know because it's not just that he realizes that the emperor is bad and that what he's done is wrong and all those other things mm. Um, but that at the end, he is willing to not just have that uh, realization, but also make a sacrifice to 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 realize it. That's it. That's exactly what it is. And 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 that idea, actually, I mean, I think if we really trace that idea of sacrificial heroism back to its roots, I think you land at Christianity. Like, I think you land yeah. at the story of of Jesus, which is very popularly told, obviously, you know uh is 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 actually part of my personal story but um you know as as society moves away from that and that that becomes not the norm then heroes become become different they become less interested in laying themselves down and more interested in figuring themselves out and um some of that is really amazing like to your point you said Sam Raimi explains like actually trying to act selflessly all the time Sometimes that just makes your life worse and, and other people don't appreciate it. Like you don't necessarily need to jump in and try to um, be the hero every time. Uh, but then on the flip side, you've got like, I think a really good example of healthy self-actualization and a hero coming into their own would be Miles Morales in Across the Spider-Verse, mm -hmm. like setting boundaries and 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 learning how to how to live that life and, and, and why do you do what you do and 
Uh, Miles has a really great mix of, of making personal sacrifices, but also taking the right moments to say, you know what, I do need to dig in deep and figure this out for myself. And so that's a great example of, I think, a healthier relationship with both. You know, so where mm -hmm. if Guardians is totally like, I'm going to figure out myself, I'm either going to be wallow in self-pity or I'm going to be proud of myself. Those are like the two character states for everybody. <laughs> uh, then on the flip right. side, you've got like Clark Kent, who's like incredibly comfortable in his, you know, I'm going to be kind and that's who I am and, 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 and I'm going to be sacrificial and I can handle it and people are still going to love me for it and I can do it all. Uh, in the middle, maybe you've got Miles Morales. I, I don't know. Oh, well, obviously, right. we, more to come on Miles. You need to see across the Spider Verse, and we need to talk about sure. Spider Man maybe in an upcoming episode. But I don't know. I For feel sure. like we're close to it. Maybe we're close to a conclusion here. Where should we? Where should we take this to to close this out? Well, um, a couple other thoughts that I um, really wanted to kind of go in is that when when you are trying to answer these types of questions within your uh, piece of art whether it's a movie or a tv show or whatever um i think it's really important to make sure that you have a central vision and you and you carry it through um because whether you take the nihilistic approach or whether you take the everyone is good um you know and uh at their core approach mm -hmm. Um, you, if you, if you can't tell that story consistently, if you can't stick to what, uh, whatever, whatever your guiding, you know, light is, um, your story is going to come out a mess. And I think when, when stories play with both, mm -hmm. they're playing with fire unless they're willing to have an honest um dialogue like that's a that's the point of the movie is to have a dialogue about these ideas yeah um because like to take um um the Snyderverse and justice league which was filmed and shot and um cider had a very specific vision and then you have the the really tragic thing that happened to snyder where he had to step away from the film and uh, then you have someone like uh, Joss Whedon, whom I also uh, really admire. Yeah, me as um, well. Creatively, is like, and he's going to come in. He's going to. He's directed not to make his own film, but to take someone else's film. Whatever you feel about its expression, it was it was Snyder's film, and then change it to to tell a completely different story. Um, punch it up with with dialogue with dialogue and make it sillier and make it more fun um and try to have some like meaningful cathartic ending and we get the original theatrical release of the justice league which was a mess hmm. everything about it was just a mess and i have not sat through snyder's um uh cut of justice league because i just don't hmm. have the patience yeah. i just i don't want to sit through four hours of of dark grittiness but from what I have heard, it is significantly a better movie, be at least because at least because whatever you can consistent? say about everything else, it's visually consistent. It has a message. It sticks to it. It knows what it is, and it and um, even if the runtime is bloated, at least it feels like a finished product. Um, you can't you can't chop up this one view 
have it edited by a different person yeah. and mixed together to, to to try to piece it together into something yes. that's not. And 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 when James Gunn plays with some of these ideas or some of these these bits of uh, meaningful iconography, religious iconography, and symbolism and stuff like that, right? In the way that he does, I think he's kind of towing the line there too because yeah. he's playing with with symbols he doesn't. He has no interest in understanding. Which is fine, except for the part where it the it's the expression itself feels awkward yeah. and weird and yeah. and not particularly compelling. You know what we're talking? I mean, you're talking about James Gunn. We're talking about Jack Zack Snyder. We're talking about Joss Whedon. And I think one thing that I can say to the credit of every single one of these artists is that you cannot consistently demonstrate these traits unless you are creating in an authentic way. And I mm -hmm. think that having more authentic creators is really important, especially in a day and age where a lot of things are overproduced or over tightly controlled and where you might have an executive who comes in and says, oh, can you make this line a little bit more crowd friendly or more appealing to general audiences? And a director might say, sure, fine, and do it versus, you know, a, a, a somebody who's, whose thumbprint you can really feel on a piece of art. Um, you know, that being said... One of the other things about, you know, if you have a strong thumbprint, if you, if, if, for example, James Gunn, who very consistently tells the same story, I think what that tells you is that that author knows who he is. James Gunn knows what he believes and what he doesn't believe, and he creates in an authentic way. And so I think I have every reason to believe that James Gunn and I just fundamentally disagree on why heroes matter and why superhero stories are important. And for that reason... I am not excited about whatever's going to happen next with DC. I think yeah. DC executives saw the success of the new Suicide Squad film. And they said, oh, look, somebody did something with our property and it worked. James Gunn took something that we couldn't figure out. He remade it. And even though it shouldn't have been a commercial success, it was. And that's really impressive. So he must be the guy. But that's a correlation and not a causation, I think. Right. Like mm -hmm. fundamentally, whatever James Gunn is and whatever he does, if we if we trace the line from Scooby-Doo all the way to Guardians three, you know, the, the right. absurdism, the nihilism, the idiosyncratic weirdos who go against godlike villains. Like, I don't know if all those pieces are going to translate to a Clark Kent story. I don't know if all those pieces are going to trans. In fact, I'm certain that those pieces are not going to translate into a Barry Allen story, which I guess they don't get to reinvent because Flash is still coming out anyway. So that probably that'll be six or seven years from now, if if at all, um, which is really disappointing because I really love Barry Allen uh, as a mm -hmm. kid. He is one of my favorites. Um, but anyway, all that to say, I, I think fundamentally where you and I are landing is that heroes do matter. You know, you, you're, 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 your your film or TV show doesn't have to take the high moral stance. In fact, it could be totally serious and dark, but there should be some contrast. Otherwise, your stance doesn't have any meaning. So for example, Zack Snyder, if it's all dark and, and gritty and moody, then it's all dark and gritty and moody and what's the point, right? right. A hero needs a villain. And in the same way, your story needs a moral, morally opposing ideas. And Joss Whedon's really good about this. And he does it through character. And he writes real characters who... who have values and, and, and care about things and don't care about things. Um, you know, ah. I feel like there's, there's one lens that I kind of want to explore a little bit. If you're, if you're okay with yeah, it, what's which this, is what the you lens got? of Star Wars. Okay. Okay. 
And I think Star Wars is really interesting because uh, we got we have the original trilogy, which is pretty universally beloved. We have the oft maligned, but now in retrospect, people appreciate the prequel trilogy. Right, my trilogy, um, Clone Wars, which is its own animal entirely, um, and all of that has Lucas behind it in some way, shape, or form. Lucas's f- fingerprints on it. Yeah. And then we get sometimes the too trilogy. many of Lucas's fingerprints on it. <laughs> Some, sometimes, sometimes that is very true. Uh, then we get to the sequel trilogy. Yeah, the the ultimate trilogy of movies made by committee, and I really feel like they, you know, they're they're comparatively, and I think this will still be true. Yeah. twenty years from now. They are they're narratively a mess. Yeah, they don't have as much resonant power. Right, and I think that the the archetypes that they were touching on for the core characters were fine, um, but the execution was not was just not good. And um, but Lucas had a very distinct vision for Star Wars the morality within star wars and the way the force and how the force interacts with morality in star wars um one thing that i i that you know a cl- classic line is um you know well that was true from a certain point of view you know and that lucas is acknowledging that there is ambiguity among people mm. right that people distort the truth people distort good and turn it into evil Mm. and that people will twist words to 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 manipulate other people but there is an underlying truth that that sits underneath it yes and appreciating the ambiguity is important and is a key part of being a true hero Mm. but but using ambiguity as justification for acting selfishly yes is is not yes and so the line that you know in episode 3 when when anakin goes you know um well from my point of view the jedi are evil right right and then you are lost you know and that only a sith deals in a- absolutes like you know these lines that you know Maybe we're felt really cheesy at which, the moment, but. which which is itself an absolute and demonstrates Obi Wan's uh, hypocrisy. But continue. Yep. Well, it does, but at the same time, in, in Obi Wan's development of character, you know that he embraces the ambiguity of people and forgives the ambiguity within people. Like that's an important part of it, and that. That that's the lesson that sort of that Luke has to learn in a lot of ways is that ambiguity exists, but there is a good, there is a truth, and there is good, and there is evil, and um, we we actualize good by making good choices, and um, but that doesn't change the fact that that there are good and evil. Like it, you don't. You, does that make sense? Yeah, it makes your. I mean, you're really. You're on fire right now. I feel like what man, what you just said, we actualize good by taking good actions. You know, you can't 
I, I think the other thing I'm thinking, is, and maybe you you t- you said this maybe verbatim, but you can't mistake the ambigu- the moral ambiguity of the world, or you can't mistake the chaos of the world uh, as evidence that therefore there is no point in trying, right? Like that's the nihilistic absurdist perspective. Right. Is you know everything's going to fall apart anyway. Why mm-hmm. make an effort? People are going to get hurt and die anyway. There's no, you know, there's no good. There's no evil. There's no God. There's no Satan. And that's, right. I, I think that's what James Gunn believes. I think that's, maybe that's what Zack Snyder believes. Um, whether it's God or just goodness in general. And I just don't agree. And so I think, yeah. I think we're touching at the heart of art and why art exists, which is that, you know, we express perspective and truth and, and that's why stories are amazing. Mm-hmm. Because they they allow us to tell, they explore these ideas um, in ways that um, are really difficult to explore um, in dialogue or explore in, um, you know, writing an essay, which has its own utility for sure. But um, there's something that happens on a deeper level when we're playing with these archetypal ideas and... Um, and I think when when good s- stories are being told well, um, the creators um, almost seem like they're. It's, you get the sense that they're that they're having fun, that they're playing too mm-hmm. in a way, because there's this sense of um, um, thrilling experimentation, and they're playing with all these ideas and and seeing where they all meet up. And when when good art is just Firing in all cylinders, especially collaborative art, you just get the sense that there's there's something really magical happening. Yeah. And I think that's why we care about stories and why we go to the movies. Even when the seats are, seats are sticky and the popcorn sucks. <laughs> and the popcorn. And the, that's still why we go. And it's only standard HD and some kid is shouting in the row behind me. Right. And it doesn't matter. It, it's If the story is good, if it resonates then that's why we go. Yeah. We'll get sucked in no matter what. I, I give Guardians 3, objectively as a film, I give it four out of five stars. But yeah. it raises all these questions for me um, that, that make me evaluate James Gunn as a whole, you know, in a different way. It doesn't mean that the film itself was not um, fun and delightful. It was a little chaotic. It was a little messy, but it was, it was I thought it was a really well-executed it was a really well executed solution to the problem of how the heck do I wrap this trilogy up, you know, with Thor Love and Thunder having happened, Infinity War and Endgame having happened. One of my mm-hmm. characters is totally dead. Like James Gunn had a hard problem to solve. So I think the way that For he sure. solved it, if you if you view Guardians 3 as a key that fits into a very, very oddly shaped keyhole, I think it's mm-hmm. a really impressive uh feet and so yeah um plus brilliant art direction you know the colorful suits uh mm-hmm. you know in the space scene uh some choice comedy moments the rocket story i mean it, it, it it's a four out of five and i almost maybe i should have led with that before we we trashed what we believe to be james gunn's personal <laughs> philosophy but i i do give it a four out of five yeah i i think i would probably sit around a three and a half out of five mainly from from purely from a technical standpoint 
I feel like there's a lot of fat that could have been trimmed to tell the story. I feel like it did run over long. And it was clear the story that James Gunn wanted to tell was Rocket Story. And that there's a reason why I think Rocket Story worked as well as it did. And there's a lot of other stuff that I feel like maybe didn't need to be in the film. And part of that is because it, like you said, it has to fit into this much larger thing than just itself. Um, but as a standalone film, it, it did run over long. Um, but visually, I mean, whatever, whether you loved it or hate it, yeah, the, the organic space station oh, was visually interesting. Oh, it was certainly a bold choice. It was. I mean, it was evocative. It gave you a reaction. Yeah, and we owe James Gunn a lot for breathing chaos into what was starting to feel like a very blue and gray MCU. You know, when Guardians yes. One came out, and uh, Guardians Three yeah. does more of that. So it certainly does, and it will it, love it or hate it. It is James Gunn putting his stamp unquestionably on the Marvel right. Cinematic Universe, right. and. um and he can't you know, and you can't blame a guy important. for doing his thing and making a lot of money for doing it. Exactly. Except that maybe exactly. it's questionable whether he believes that good exists on its own in a vacuum. So <laughs> Well, fortunately he's making movies not uh not committing to a philosophy class. So yes, you're right. I think we'll let him off the hook this we'll time. We'll see what happens with DC. Lots of interesting stuff to happen. It's been a it's been excellent going through all this with you, Daniel. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been a real pleasure. We'll see y'all on the next one.